When a company finds itself in hot water with a media crisis, Molly McPherson should be their first call. She is a nationally recognized expert in crisis communications. She knows how to clean up a mess and turn it into a win. McPherson came into the FEMA Office of External Affairs post-Hurricane Katrina and helped this agency launch its first social media program. Today, she is indestructible PR and her podcast, Confident Communications, follows through where her book, Indestructible, began by helping others reclaim control and respond with confidence in a media crisis. Please welcome Molly McPherson. Hi, Molly. (laughs) So happy to be here with you. Thank you. So I have to ask you about FEMA. What can you tell us about those early days when you joined? When you were speaking about FEMA in the introduction, I was listening and in my head, I was thinking, wow, it just seems like a lifetime ago. And in a way that it was, it's, it's not just the passage of time, but it's the passage certainly of technology. It's the passage of how people communicate and At the moment that I was there, to use an analogy of it, I of the communication storm that I was in was a time when people were relying on traditional media channels. Mm. We were watching network news, local news, papers, national newspapers. This idea of social media communication, digital media communication wasn't right, wasn't there yet. But reputations were made and destroyed by public opinion. And so it was at that time where coming out of Katrina, where FEMA took such a massive reputational blow because of because of the reaction to Katrina. And even though there was plenty of blame to go around, the bad story stuck to FEMA. When I was there, what I noticed was just that we we were losing traction somewhere because we were helping so many people. Like on the grounds, on the ground line, I could see we're, we're here on the front lines of the disaster, but yet the press, you know, was killing us. So, but now, now look at where we are. Mm-hmm. So much has changed. Reputation is just as important, but how it's shaped has changed. So how would you have handled the BP crisis, the BP oil spill? Oh, the BP, well... At the time, I certainly knew a lot of people working it. I, you know, knowing a lot of people within the Coast Guard who were deployed working on the BP oil spill and and watching it at the time. And what I remember following it so closely, and we all know this, you know, it really all came down to if someone thinks of BP oil spill, they may think of two things. They'll think of the damage. they'll, They'll think of the birds. That's the optic of it, the oily birds. But then they'll think of the CEO and they'll think of Hayward saying, I want my life back. And isn't that amazing that it was such a, it was such a huge disaster, an environmental disaster. But for many of us now, you know, so far removed from it, it's distilled to optics and a soundbite. And with now the speed of social media, where it's going, that's what will stick with people. That's what remains. Also, for me, the cleanup effort where all those workers were in this toxic environment and they didn't have protective gear, that was also a bad optic. Absolutely. So why are companies so bad at PR, especially the ones that should know better? 
Well, the truth is there's a lot of companies out there that are very good at PR. And the reason why we don't know it is because we don't have to know it because they don't face a big crisis because they're prepared if a crisis happens. And in many times it doesn't happen because they have a crisis preparedness plan, some type of guideline or communication plan that they're following that looks to their external uh, stakeholders, their internal stakeholders. They know what their risks are. They know what their strengths are and their risks are. So they plan. That's the reason why we don't see of them. They're usually led by leaders who understand the cadence of a news cycle. They understand the expectations of their customers, of their members, you know, whoever their whoever their external stakeholder is. They're tuned into the culture of of inside with their internal stakeholders there. That's the reason why we don't hear about them often. The people in crisis that we hear about nowadays many times comes down to a character, <laughs> either a flaw in its leadership or a flaw in operations that has been led astray by perhaps a character in, in, in leadership there. People do not let those things go by. So that's why when there's a negative story that comes up, people are very quick to blame the woke mob or these mobs of people who want to bring us down or the cancel culture. But really what it is, is the public is responding to the response of these companies. So it almost creates an adjacent crisis while they're going through the crisis. And that's why we see them. So there's a recent one uh, just before this broadcast that happened over the weekend where a company really dropped the ball and misread the room. There's a TikTok influencer, Elise Harmon, and she was so excited. She was a, a longtime Chanel customer. And she bought this advent calendar for almost $1,000. So she decided to have an unboxing on TikTok. Well, it didn't go very well, because for one, there was not even close to I don't even think from Canada, how we our dollar works. I don't even think there was $200 worth of product in that, that yeah. box. She was shocked at some of the things that she seen. But Chanel blocked her on TikTok. They had an opportunity there, but they turned it into a PR nightmare. So I couldn't figure out why Chanel was having this viral stuff going on all over the weekend. When I went and looked at her TikTok, I thought, oh my gosh, no wonder. <laughs> and then just yesterday, they issued an apology. Did they? Yeah. Chanel issued? I missed the apology. I didn't see that. I didn't read the whole story, but yesterday they issued an apology I don't think for her, for blocking her or disrespecting her, but I think it was for just the disvalue of this advent calendar that they had put out. When you see them not reading the room, it seems to be quite often that that happens. That story, which I'm, I'm glad you brought it to my attention, is, is so indicative of, I think, the an example of we're not there we're not working in the halls of Chanel by any means but when this started to spiral and I watched her TikTok video immediately my head goes to okay what is happening at Chanel like what is the chain of events that happened that caused this to happen 
So we have just the idea of the advent calendar, which a lot of companies get into the advent calendar game. I don't know if it's my 16 years of Catholic school, but I don't think I would ever be a marketer that would market the advent calendar. I don't know. There's a little offness to me about that, but it's okay if it's beer. Well, I know it's a thing now and, and that part I get. So that's the, just the old school of me just in general, but it's a great idea. But the Chanel advent calendar was beautiful. And here you have this influencer, someone that has that a lot of followers on TikTok and she's yes. beautiful. She understands social media. She is your ideal influencer. She's perfect. And she's unboxing something with, with getting nothing from Chanel. They're getting nothing but free publicity. And so they botched it. Like, okay, so they botched it. So someone was out of touch with the idea of what goes into an advent calendar. Even myself, like I have this antiquated thinking that you don't do advent calendars. Maybe it was it was like that, that someone said, oh, well, let's put, let's put stickers in there. A sticker, a mirror, <laughs> the tchotchkes that this had in there, she had two lipsticks. But what you, one would think is that in one of the days you're gonna get this, you know, a bounty, this like the a perfume or you know, <laughs> something wonderful. But I was thinking of some leadership there that said, what, it's going on TikTok? Well, just block her, just be done with it. It's that fear factor of we're gonna block it and it will go away. <laughs> what they miss it makes it worse, as you know. But that's interesting, six days later, and now we get the apology. But that is, I bring that up because that is the whole key. Some of these companies don't realize that influencer marketing is a thing. Just because you don't use the platform, just because it's not what you do, doesn't mean everybody else doesn't. Yeah. And you are not your audience. A hundred percent. Debbie, I just, I was doing a workshop this week. <clears throat> talking, it was a crisis management, you know, workshop and, and planning for a crisis plan. But I started it with, here's the bluff. Here's the bottom line up front. You have to look at crisis management now, like marketing. You have to be, if you're going to be a skilled crisis communicator or communicator, you now need to understand marketing because the two have converged. This week, I got a TikTok account. I thought I have to do it in 21. I put it off for 12 months. But I needed to understand how it works. And I've had five posts now. I see the algorithm behind it and how quickly it goes. And just the nuance of it, that it's videos, it's quick, it's snackable. The same type of content that you see in TikTok is the same type that will fuel a crisis, will fuel a communication plan. So I think it's important for everyone to understand that's the shift in 22, I think, is one of the shifts, at least, for how to practice it is we need our content to be more snackable. And the more that we can contain it, the safer we can be too. It's more you know, risk-free. And don't discount certain things just because you don't participate in them. Without a doubt. As a matter of fact, you do the complete opposite is you say, I don't know it. Teach me, tell yeah. me, show me, show me the numbers, show me everything. And then, and then jump in. Absolutely. So, a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's social media that's the problem. Right. However, is it really social media or is it just the odd person, the nefarious account that runs their social media account? They are people behind these accounts, mm -hmm. as we've seen with that TikTok video. 
companies will just say, oh, it's a problem on social media and blame the platforms. But really, the platforms are just the publisher. You control what you post. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you call it online warfare. What is the difference between that and cancel culture? I think the two somewhat can be conflated that when people think of the cancel culture, they think of it as warfare. They think that they are under attack, that someone is flanking them on one side on Facebook and someone's flanking them with a hashtag on Twitter and people are out there for the only express purpose of bringing another person down because of political ideology. That's the, in its rawest form, that's how people approach a cancel culture. But in truth, what it is, is it is a movement indeed, and it can be a movement like a boulder rolling down a hill. And sometimes people would feel like Sisyphus, you know, putting the boulder up the mountain, you know, just to try and control a narrative online. But what people are striking out at is not so much the act itself of, if they don't align with their thinking or ideology or someone said something and it was off color or the not PC, they, therefore they should be canceled. It's usually what they're reacting to is the response. If the response lands with a thud, if it's empty, if it's insensitive, if it's arrogant, if it's filled with hubris, people will let people know. And this act of, of cancellation sometimes it's simply giving an opinion, but when the opinions mount up, you feel as if you're being attacked. It's like how the person feels or the person supporting, you know, defending that person, they feel like it's an attack. But all it is is a collection of people, a collective of people who've decided that they don't like that response. So the cancel culture is not something to fear at all. It's definitely something to learn from. Mm -hmm. And you know, what if the public is blatantly wrong and they're perpetuating what they might consider a PR fail? Can you give me an example? Well, there are sometimes there are incidences where I can't, where you get an individual who they, the public perceives them as being this persona or being this person when they're really not and creating personas like political personas because you can just easily draw a line you know, yeah. so without even looking at a twitter feed oh i know the thinking of this person you know just from a twitter profile and then you mix that with the news stories and you might mix it with news stories that have commentary compared to news stories that has a slant and and it just becomes this combustible place but i feel like it's the people who really know how to harness it and use it and, and use it effectively are the ones who can um, manage it and kind of create the space. Donald Trump, for you know, love him or hate him, the one thing that he was absolutely able to do is he knew or his team knew how to create a base and mm. a passion. And that passion almost drove people to social media. Um, not that necessarily he was the social media a president who knew everything about platforms, but he was the most authentic president on social media. And that's yeah. why he was such a presence on Twitter. I agree. Thanks to the last couple of years, priorities are changing. And if they can get out of it, people are leaving toxic work environments. 
So how much do PR fails have to do with a low company morale? Well, so many, Debbie, so many of these PR fails, especially coming out of 2020 and the pandemic, came from culture and came from cultures that were toxic or unfair or where employees felt marginalized. I'm thinking back in the early days, March, April of 2020, watching videos or watching uh, TikToks about these young millennia in some Gen Z cases, like working for Amazon and the conditions of Amazon. And people will talk about the conditions and employees and talk about leadership. And it can go sideways. It can go sideways so quickly. So this idea of culture, so much of it is shaped from the top and from the leadership itself. I think leaders who understand how to harness the power of, of all digital platforms, particularly social media, knows that it's another channel to not only reach the public, it reaches their internal stakeholders, their employees as well. They're the ones that I think tend to do better. I'm thinking in my head, like two that come to mind. One, Doug McMillan of Walmart. He's a very social CEO who shares a lot of information about working at Walmart and what their culture is like on social media. Another example would be Delta Airlines. Here we have the travel industry, which certainly took its knocks and had difficulties. You had angry people on flights and there's just all this toxicity around it. But he's like a leader and Delta leadership understood the importance of taking care of not just the passengers, but also their employees. They cared about their employees and that came out in a lot of their messaging. So I think that's the reason why these are two companies that are doing well today. And hiring practices, how do they play a role? Because a lot of HR departments, they're using bots to weed out resumes for the perfect candidate who may or may not exist. Right. That's not an area of expertise that I have at all, other than like kind of personally, I know about it, just helping people with resumes and just and knowing people who work in that industry. Here we have a situation where employment, we have so many businesses and organizations cannot fill seats in their businesses anymore. They are having so many staffing issues. They are dying and looking for employees. And it's true that now so much of this hiring is just being run through the system. They're saying now you there's a time where you wanted to have your photo on a resume, but now if you have a photo, it gets kicked out because it doesn't read a photo. And resumes are just looking for keywords. Mm -hmm. Average, if you're a 47-year-old, maybe a 59-year-old looking for work, you're not going to know to write a resume and fill it with keywords. And that's part of this whole AI piece of hiring makes it difficult um, as well. But that's where working with clients and, and people in my workshops, one of their challenges is hiring. So we said, how can we use your communication channels to reach out to a potential employees out there hiring? Like how can we reach them in an authentic way and in a human way? So they know this is why we want to, you to work there because our culture is positive, but we're also gonna make it easy to work here. And once you're here, we're going to take care of you. We're going to pay you and we're going to treat you well by treating you with respect. And that is one of the things I think starts a PR fail. <laughs> when you've, it all starts in, with inside the company. <laughs> so what should businesses do before they attract, if they see something happening, if they see, oh God, this has happened. And 
wrong click something, whatever, and they see that this is going to get out of control, what should they do before it actually hits the public? So what a lot of my work right now I do for clients is the, just the generic name is a crisis communication plan, but I call them critical communication plans. And it's always to plan something around an issue that is critical within your business. And that issue can change or it always can be stationary. It could be, you might be raising prices on, on your service. You could have staffing issues. What happens if a leader says, X, you know, or an employee does this. Okay. So you, you have plans in place, but most important is you have messaging in place as well. And you have protocols to know how to roll out that messaging. Every organization should have a plan around critical issues that their organization faces. They should just have it because if they have nothing to go to with the speed of how a crisis and how quickly it can happen on social media you will be dead in the water right away because in the absence of any type of message, the world will fill the void and create their own messaging around you. And you're catching up with a narrative that's already been set by publics, not by you. So the more that you plan ahead, that helps. But secondly, if you have these types of plans and initiatives, you're going to know what's important. If you have an employee shortage or you know that one is coming, let's do a plan around culture and values. Maybe we just want to talk about our values. Maybe we talk about our culture. You are creating the ground for the growth to try and attract more employees. And no matter which category you do, if you build it and you fertilize the soil to have this kind of rich foundation that you can build from, when something happens, when that poison comes into the soil, you're already going to be able to grow up an effective plan around it. You've already done the research. You've already identified the strengths of your organization. You've already identified the weaknesses and the threats that are out there. Ideally, which gives the most confidence to leaders, you've already done the messaging. So you, the messaging that comes from the leader's mouth is supported on social media channels. It's also supported, supported in media statements or press releases, whatever it is, language on the website. And it's all working together to form that kind of that one message. That's how people get through crises nowadays. The public respects an organization that has a message and has a response. And that response speaks to a problem that's being solved and speaks to their customer and speaks to the public. Those are the people that survive it. So what gives you hope for PR in the future? Do we do we see some of these fails improving? <laughs> do, we, do we see <laughs> do we see do we see something like hope for the future? We can all hope that everyone gets it, but then people like me wouldn't have a shingle to hang. That's rope. true. Certainly. <laughs> Oh, I'm being honest <laughs> right there. You do make good stories, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, um, just from the work that I do and something that I can certainly tell is at least every client that I have or any participant in a workshop, everyone is earnest. Everyone wants to do the right thing. They just, everyone wants to serve their customer. They want to provide a service, whatever it is. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. They wouldn't be there. So we want to help them. We want to help them do that. Where these PR fails are going to happen, I, I always say, like, your next crisis will be a digital crisis. 
It's if it doesn't start there, it will end up there. Yes. You want to make sure that your digital platforms, your social platforms, that your employees, that your communicators, that they have all the resources they need to be able to protect the brand, protect the leadership, protect the board, respect communicators, give them a seat at the table. And by communicator, anyone who is front facing in person with your customer or line or they're writing or creating content. 2020 taught us the importance of having effective, clear communication. We need this like clarity so that our customers and the press and all the stakeholders understand the value that we're giving. When it's missing and people don't see it, that is how a crisis can come in that type of environment. We don't want a crisis ecosystem. You want an ecosystem that supports the internal and external people involved. Can't end on a better note than that. <laughs> thank <Good>. you, Molly. <laughs> Debbie, thank you so much, Debbie.